Welcome to the Mycelium Network Podcast, a podcast all about early stage web developers and the mentors and teachers that helped them along the way. Hey, Alvin. Thank you so much for joining me today on this Thursday. I'm always lost a bit of track of time this week. Uh, thanks so much for joining me. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. I am too. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, pleasure. So um, I, as I start with all, all my guests, I am not going to tell your story. I think you can do it better than I can. So instead of that, I'm going to give you the floor and take as much time as you need. As always, say, go as far back into your history as you'd like and bring us up to the current day and just tell us a bit more about you. For sure. So, hey, I'm Alvin. Uh, I've been in, in the industry for a while. Primarily, I worked as a front-end type person. So I was always driven by the same idea of like, how can I make like things that look, you know, and feel nice to the user so that, you know, whether it's, you know, beautiful, fun, you know, entertaining. Uh, and that took like a few forms, I guess. Like I, I worked on games, I worked on data visualizations. Uh, I worked on most recently design systems. Uh, and now my new, uh, the, a new sort of uh, turn in my career is I've been since the month of May this year, so about four months, four or five months, uh, developer advocate at Contentful. Cool. Yeah, I like the design systems angle. I wonder if you want to dig into that a little bit, because I know that is something that I'm pretty passionate about. Um, at a couple of clients that I was at, um, they were playing very fast and loose with, with their brand. Um, and, and it's not... You know, it's not their fault. It's that there, there isn't any structure. But then, um, if you approach them with this idea of a design system, they're a little hesitant because they're like, "How much time is this going to take?" I was like, uh, "Always, yeah." What's if, the, if what's the what's the value of it? You know? Yeah, it's going to take a little bit of time. But just just let me let me paint you a picture of the future and what it might be like once you have this thing in place. Do you want to dig a little bit more into design systems and like what they are, and maybe even try and answer some of those questions? Yeah, for sure. So the for for me what I guess what interested me in design system is that it's the place where like developers and designers are like have to collaborate, right? It's like and that's always been so the the sweet spot for me, uh where like you know the more design driven something is, usually the more I like it. And I found that like design systems were this, but for you know at the larger scale, so, you know, so I as much as I was interested in like very large complex front ends um, you know, that had lots of like moving parts with like, you know, 50 people working on something. A design system, you know, on the other hand is much more interesting because you have your 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 designers and your developers working together in making something, right? Um, and that was always the cool thing for me. In terms of, again, like application for like the brand, when a design system is well, you know, it's well put together, it's just really satisfying when you can like create a sub page or a landing page really quickly because you're just putting blocks together and then you're like, okay, I've got the boring bits done. And now I can focus on the, the more like bespoke interactive, you know, interesting things because it, otherwise if you're always sort of finding, trying to find the same nav and like the same sort of sub menu or whatever, and you're having to code that or just lift and shift that in the non, you know, standard way, you could just waste a bunch, a bunch of time, like recoding the same things. And whereas if you have like everything that's, you know, ready, you could just say, okay, put the blocks together, boom, nav, boom, you know, headings, everything has the right font size, the right spacing. You don't have to peer into Figma too much or sketch or whatever, but everything's already done for you. So all the, everything is kind of neat and tidy very quickly. 
but the bespoke bid that you need, then you have more time for it. Did yeah. that make any sense? One hundred percent. No, I hundred percent agree. I think that is one of the big things about the design system, um, because it's not just the design; it's also the components that comes out of the design, and those are actual living, breathing pieces of code that you can then compose together. And I think um, maybe React was the was the framework that really started making friendly people think about components. But I mean, now it's in everything. It's literally baked into the web platform. We have web components, mm. it's in the name. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think the next evolution is, um, what do they call them? Design tokens. I think that's the next yeah. evolution of design systems. Yeah. Um, and this, this ability to cross share, um, design tokens between systems like Figma, um, Penpot, yeah. and then like your development environment where you literally export like a JSON definition and you have these tools that can take that and generate code. Um, I use this one from Adobe where basically you have that and then you can tell it like, generate me the style sheets for, I put it in quotes because it's more than just style sheets, for web, iOS, Android, blah, blah, right, and it's yeah. like just yeah. all from this single yeah, JSON thing. And then once yeah. the designers make the changes in Figma, say for example, and they export the latest version, it like just does like a automatic rebuild. Propagates, yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, mm. it's, I'm looking forward to that being more of a thing. It's still early days there. There's very, mm -hmm. um, at this point, it's kind of, you have to do quite a bit of hacking to get it to work really efficiently, but um, I'm looking mm. forward to the future of what that can be. Yeah. So uh, I noticed a post that you wrote called Learning to Code in the Time of Crisis. Um, I love the title. It intrigues me, so I automatically want to know more. And I think that probably ties into one of the other questions I often ask, which is what advice do you have for early stage web developers or developers in general um, on how to stay motivated? Right. So um, I'm going to start with like the, the post, uh, the the blog post, uh, learning to code in time of crisis first, and then I'll, I'll sort of uh, find advice from that. So my my idea with this post, which was interesting because I started uh, writing it in, uh, in 2020, in March, when, you know, the, like, the whole world shut down, you know, we, we know, we know what happened. I had a couple of people ask me whether, you know, whether it was easy to find a job as a coder and like, it was something they could break into. So I started, you know, writing it, started outlining it. And then I got, you know, I, I wasn't super happy with it. And I sort of shelved it because as you know, in 2021, the, uh, the economy kicked back again. Then we had this boom in tech, which seemed was going to last forever, but it didn't, you know, in 2022, the economy is in a pickle again. And I had also another person ask me the same question and I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to finish it, find another angle to it. And that's what I did. So the blog post has a couple of things in it. The first, the first main point is the job market sucks right now. <laughs> if, for, if you're trying to break into it as a, as a beginner, but that doesn't mean it's impossible. And you just want to be realistic with it. It's like, if, even if you heard these stories maybe a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, of people going from zero to great coding job in, in three, six months, it may happen to you again, but it's just less likely. So just got to be realistic with the state of the tech market right now. That doesn't mean, as I said, it's impossible, but just want to be realistic. So that's like with the negatives. With the positives, though, 
the great thing is the the tech industry is used to people coming from a variety of backgrounds and like you know having going from the most random jobs to coding i think i think i have a, a bunch of examples there but yeah so to it's not a foreign thing to do like you're it's um it's not to say that there's zero elitism in the tech industry it exists like everywhere but we're used to people jumping from different careers so we will not be looked at weirdly or if you think your case is really unusual like oh but i don't know i'm coming from this very specific background there's probably someone else who went to, who did something similar um so that's one part and also uh the um with developers in particular and designers too um remote work is definitely a thing now so if you think about it in a way that when you're if you're looking for a job you have access to companies of course, you can go as far as you can, as you want, you know, in, on the entire planet. You know, some people work across, you know, multiple time zones and everything. But even within your own country, right? Even if you think, okay, just within my own country, I have access, I can apply to pretty much any company there. Not any, but like a ton of companies there who do remote work. That's a huge advantage compared to whatever job, you know, if you're a nurse or something that needs you to move your life around. What about your partner? What about your children? You know, um, and that that's amazing. I mean... There's tons of companies that work like, you know, across countries, across time zone, like, like you in South Africa, you're in the same time zone as Germany, for example. So you could work with a German company like me, right? Um, but even if you think at the smallest scale of like, okay, just my own country, that's already a huge advantage. And, you know, so they're, you know, they're, they're good and there's bad. And it's still, it, it's still a, good, um, a good thing to learn, but just be realistic that, you know, the market is weird at the moment. Yeah. Um, what do you what do you think is weird about it? Do you think it's that maybe um, the, the opportunities that exist require a certain amount of experience, and that is the problem for early stage folks is they lack that experience. And so while there might be a shortage of skills, it's more a shortage of skills of experienced developers, not so much new developers or do you think companies are hesitant towards hiring juniors the the problem right now is that there were a ton of layoffs so you have a huge pool of experienced coders that are on the market so so that's the problem like if you're if you have one opening you'll probably get the most experience because you can right because there's like there was all all these layoffs happening you know but again like it depends like it doesn't mean it's impossible it's just it's just harder than it used to be when you had more of a it's more of an equal distribution of like people of all levels entering the market now you have you have you had like this ton of layoffs you have a ton of people with experience that are being dumped to the markets looking for jobs at the same time so it's harder but it i'm yeah i'm i just hope it will you know uh, balance out in the near future but yeah that, that at least you know in the summer you know like since you know uh, just for people listening to this in the future since the spring of 2022 we had basically non-stop big layoffs happening all the time yeah, like, uh, yeah. so and, and we're recording this in september so it, early october so you know in the past four months it's been non-stop you know company x you know laid off a thousand tech workers company b laid off 500 like so it's just really hitting it hard but, you know, I hope it will balance out. But as you said, there's still a shortage of, like, developers. People are still struggling to find them. So it's not going to, so that, that's not going to disappear. 
and you know more as we know technology is eating our lives so i don't see that stopping but yeah the 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 market conditions are a bit weird at the moment yeah that's a good point yeah i, I don't think about that that's a very good insight so with that with that challenge i think already for early stage developers um and people switching careers and stuff like that you know it's already stressful uh a little scary um and now you have this added thing that you just just mentioned where it's like oh now i'm competing against somebody with five years yeah. experience i'm mm -hmm. stuffed how do you, how would you any advice on how to stay motivated and you know just keep going keep trying don't give up for sure yeah i think yeah uh i think uh keep at it as you said but and be consistent um even if you'll if so it's a bit of a weirdly worded way of saying it but like keep at it be consistent even if you'll see inconsistency like everything else because like learning everything your progress will not be linear so like it's like you know like learning a musical instrument or anything like you're it's sometimes you're going to make a ton of progress in a couple in a couple of weeks and then you'll really struggle for like three or four and then it's it's going to go up and down like this um and the and it's it's not easy and my, my own personal failure to be any good at any musical instrument can attest to that <laughs> so uh yeah somehow with coding it worked i guess with coding maybe it's easier to see progress because you can visually see your your programs becoming more complicated whereas maybe with a musical instrument you're just getting a little bit faster maybe i'm just making excuses doesn't matter uh, but like so yeah so going back to the word of advice yeah keep at it it will be inconsistent um and keep the end goal in mind and have it you know have a, an achievable like end goal so if you if you think okay i want to build up a portfolio of work that includes project x make sure you have that in mind and you and you keep thinking okay i'm moving towards that goal rather than just like have this abstract thing like i'm going to learn python you know like yes you know <laughs> but it's very easy to to fizzle out when you have like a goal like this just like learn python like what does that mean you know yeah um, yeah i'm <clears throat> i'm definitely a very goal oriented person I, I i've mentioned it in previous episodes of the podcast i find it very difficult to learn something for the sake of learning it i always need an outlet for it like i need you know, either something I can contribute to that uses the technology I'm learning so I can like apply what I learn or just scratch on my own itch or even make up my own little project, even if it's like just for me, um, just as a means of using the skills I'm, I'm learning. If I feel I'm just like um, making the little food app that you're doing as part of the course, it, it doesn't feel as fulfilling to me. And um, because a lot of the... Uh, courses like um feed off each other which is good it, it's like music where um you know the music you make today is influenced by the music from the past and so sometimes you'll hear a band and you'll say i hear a little bit of rolling stones in there but mixed with a little bit of beatles and it and it, it's good i mean it's good it's it's i heard um I, I don't know the artist grimes um i had listened to an interview with her i i'm not a fan of her music or anything but she's a very fascinating person and she says Music is like having a conversation with those who came before you. And I think that was really just beautiful. And um, so, yeah, I think the same thing here. Um, I do think it's good that these course materials are feeding off each other and improving through that. But um, maybe they should look at 
expanding the portfolio of uh, examples you build. So it's not like you're building and just another food app, another to-do app, because that, that, that can get tedious. Um, I wanted to jump into a different problem now. I'm thinking if I should first flip to a different topic or we should just keep to going. I think let's just keep going down this road. Um, so I think you've highlighted some of these things, but maybe we can dig into it more. From your perspective, what do you think are the biggest problems in the tech industry? Yeah, so I don't <laughs> generally don't like uh, thinking at, at like absolute statements like the biggest, but I think one a big problem we have that is recognized still is uh, diversity. Even though we've improved a lot, don't get me wrong. The tech workforce, yeah, the tech workforce of today looks nothing like the tech workforce of five six, seven years ago, like really improved a lot in that, in that regard. Um, but it's still a problem. Like we, we still know, uh, we still know we, we need to have more, uh, diverse voices and it kind of feeds off with what we were talking about with, um, you know, having people from that, from different backgrounds, right? The more we have people with that come in with a fresh eye, you know, from like a random job before the more, the more, the more, the more, the more, the better our product is going to be, right? Um, and so this is, yeah, this is something that um, the tech industry knows there's a, there's a problem and we're trying to fix it, but it's we're aware that there's still a problem. And then like coming back, I guess, to what we were saying, this is also where it's interesting where people would hire you because you're talking as a beginner, because when you were talking about like earlier about, well, how the hell do I compete with someone who has five years? But maybe if, even if you don't have as many actual years, maybe there's something about your background and about yourself and about the way you see design and accessibility that is unique to you. And someone who's been working on a very specific thing for five years cannot contribute to the, you know, to the company and the product. So that, that also is, uh, I guess, a, um, like a beacon of hope, I guess, for, for people breaking in, trying to break in, break into yeah. the, the industry. Yeah. Yeah. I think that leads me to a different topic also, which is um, interviews. And I think um, I think there is where we have another problem with tech. Um, and I think this one might be very tech specific. Um, I think generally the diversity problem is not just a tech problem. It's very visible in tech and it's been made very visible and that's good. I mean, it, you, it needs to be visible before anybody's gonna do anything about it. It's like we saw with COVID, like when it was very visible that we have a problem, like the world rallied around it. So um, that's important. But I think um, the other side with, with the interviews is if you take a junior through the same interview process as somebody with five years experience, Generally, the person with five years experience are going to win every time. Um, because if you don't ask those questions, like what you said, like, why do you bring to the project that's unique? If you don't dig into that side of it and you just focus on the whiteboard algorithm things, the junior is going to lose that interview every time. Um, and I can see how that can de be demotivational. So I think, I think with tech interviews, the one thing that we need to... Um, but I think this is also a little bit... Um, I don't want to be the, the person who always puts a, the burden on, on on the other person and like give the recruiters um, an out. But I do think as a as an applicant to a job, you need to 
you need to speak to those things. You need to speak to what you can bring, not just from a technical perspective, but from a how you think about stuff. Um, and I think uh, one of the previous folks I spoke to, Adelson um, Sandoval, he, um, he made a point of that, like how important it is to understand the company that you're, that you're um, applying to, uh, understanding their technology, and maybe even coming to the table with some ideas uh, because you've taken the time to research what the company does, what their goals are. And it's easier, of course, if the company has an open source aspect to them because you can literally see the code, you can literally see what they do, and um, through that you might, you might see some stuff. But I think also, just in general, companies should be open to the idea that a junior can bring something to the table that a senior might not, um, even if it's just in the way that they're going to ask questions um, about stuff that other people have stopped thinking about because it feels like it's just part of your DNA now. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm a huge, like proponent of like hiring juniors i think it, there's a, there's lots of values in you know that uh, someone it's someone with fresh eyes that's what it is really and that that has a ton of value especially i feel like the when you're like uh, especially if you have like your company if the same kind of people have been building the same product for a while it's hard to see you know what's going on with fresh eyes and coming back to what you said about like maybe not liking to always sort of throw the burden to someone else, but the, the, the someone else is us though. It's developers when we're hiring others, right? It's like when you yeah, have an opening yeah, in your team, yeah. it's us knowing, do we really want to give them a four hour take home test? Like, do we really need that? You know, it's like, it's us pushing back or something I'm also a big advocate of is that if we do think, because it's a more senior position or whatever, like that, you know, a three-hour take-home test is the way to go. Then pay the person, right? Like it's um, so. But yeah, I feel like the it's it's on us. It's on us developers. Like thinking in terms of recruiting, it's not just the recruiters. It's it's how we word our job description as well. Like, do do we do we need to have so much? Like, there's even internal jargon sometimes. Like I like sometimes I see this and and it's like we're part of the I don't know Prometheus group within. Facebook or whatever and I'm like what the hell is the Prometheus group why do I care as an applicant you know and it's like sometimes you see you see things like this and yeah it's on us to make sure that we're there's a like we're always super keen to share like our you know our job our job posting on LinkedIn and whatever and be like come work with me and I, I do that too don't get me wrong but like it, it's also on us to make sure that the job description we share makes sense and that you know we have our our hiring process nailed, and we're not like, oh, what are we doing? Oh, I don't know. Let's give him a three-hour home test. What? I don't know. Let's do a to-do list in Svelte. Yay! But then when you're an applicant, <laughs> if you have three companies giving you that, that's it starts to to add up, and it's you know that's it. It starts to add up, and it starts to be annoying. Whereas like if it's more like okay, we're just gonna we're just gonna come on Zoom for an hour have them, you know, walk through code or just like do a simple code example of like, hey, can you fetch something from the GitHub API, walk us through it, something like that. That's a way, like in my opinion, that's a way better interview process, right? Because you're not, you're not requiring a ton of commitment. You're still looking at how the person is coding, but you're not, you know, you're not like placing this huge burden on them to, you know, to, to find three hours of spare time and polish an app and do whatever. And again, that multiply by every company you're applying to, right? So yeah, I feel like it's 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 on us as you know developers, as you know developers with a bit of experience who are gonna be in the position to hire someone else to make sure that our uh, process is 
as accessible as it can be. Yeah, yeah, that's very good. Um, I wonder with 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 that hour long um, interview where you do something, would you give somebody like a a hint as to what what the question might be? Like, you don't necessarily will tell them um, you're going to be using the GitHub API, but maybe you'll tell them like. We're going to have this hour-long conversation, and basically as part of that, we'll, we'll have you do uh, a request to an API to get some data and display it on a web page. Yeah. Would you yeah. like put that in? I think it depends on, again, this, the seniority level, how, like, what kind of things you're solving. Because, for example, like, uh, sometimes you're more interested in the presentation, right? So you're, so you're like, okay, we'll give you... Um, like with that with that same example, right? So you can be really interested in how someone writes the tests for this request to the API. That could be like a you know primary focus, or it could be yeah, just get something from this API. But what we really want you to focus on is make sure the I don't know if you have a search or something or like or the whatever you're displaying from the API, make sure that it's accessible. So it really depends what you're looking for in the role. Um, but yeah, I think like you're you can you drop hints based on what you're trying to have them like focus on versus like, you know, if you're, if it's a pure front end then you're, you know, you want someone who really knows about accessibility and it's what something that they've said in their CV as well. You don't want them to spend 20 minutes like figuring out there's a missing header to that API or whatever. You could just help them with that because that's not the primary yeah, thing. Gotcha, right? gotcha. Yeah. That sounds like a very healthy approach. I really like that. I'd be glad if more people did that, more companies. That's good. I'm glad we have you said that, and now it's out there for people to like oh, listen yeah. to and like for sure. take note. <laughs> um, this leads us into this next question, which is: I noticed a tweet from you um, about Cascadia JS, um, and they mentioned that they post all the recordings of of their events because they believe in open sourcing knowledge. Love that, by the way. <laughs> and so I wonder, what are your thoughts? with regards to open source, the open source ecosystem and its role in, in developer education. Because especially, I think it, it, it touches on that topic previously, which we talked about, about juniors' lack of experience, lack of working experience. Like, can open source play a role here? For sure. There is, um, yeah, so the, as you mentioned before, like with open source, what's great is you can see real code, right? You can see if someone has a small project, they open source it. You can see, okay, this is how... This specific app works, so I can, like it allows you to explore and like to see to see real code in action, which is great. Especially now with um, with things like Netlify and Vercel, like it's a lot easier to host things than it was before. Because yeah, because before it was like oh I have to do whatever. So people tend to just have a GitHub, and that just automatically publishes to a Netlify or something, and it just it makes it easier to say, oh okay I got this code and it's powering this page. And you know, there's like no in between. This is the build step. It's all in there and it's all uh, visible. So that's great. I feel like in terms of developer education though, we now have more of a curation problem than uh, like, than the, like uh, you know, um, number of resources problem. Like I feel like there's ton of knowledge and it's fantastic. We're extremely lucky that we have tons of people like writing tutorials in their spare time on their blogs and stuff. So there's a lot of knowledge going around. But we might have more of a, as I said, like curation problem in that we need to figure out how to triage like all the all the, all the the tutorials and everything to make sure, okay, this is what I need to build a specific thing. Um, 
but yeah, otherwise, I, th I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I agree 100% with that. Um, I, I think uh, Riku from the very first podcast said you feel like you're this little drop that fell into this ocean and you don't know whether you should <laughs> swim up or down or left or right because yeah. you're like yeah. drowning drowning in information. <laughs> yeah. I think we yeah. are there. And um, mm -hmm. I think one of the projects that we are undertaking as part of the Mycelium Network is the web workbook, which is not meant to be, uh, let's try and do a better MDN. No, it, it's the opposite. It's let's let's curate content and let's let's define pathways topics technology paths and let's as a as a community share things that have helped us and let's try and make it easier for people to know okay i've finished this part where do i go from here what are the content that i can trust um who are the people i should be following that shares really good um uh, that has a teaching style that, that works really well. And also um, finding different ways of learning because not everybody likes to read, not everybody likes to watch a video. Um, uh, some people like me are really very practical, so you want something that has a practical aspect to it. So kind of trying to curate stuff around topics, technologies, and pathways. It's a big, it's a big undertaking, but I think I've, I'm hearing it more and more and more that this is what is needed like speaking to to early stage developers it's it's almost i don't think i've spoken to one that has not said this so the fact that you also brought it up is just like it's clear that that is something that's needed and i'm really excited about that project but you know it's still early days and there's a lot there's a lot to do a lot of planning there's a lot of planning and, and i think that's one of the things that um is interesting about people who get into code is they don't realize how big a part of the job that is, is planning. Um, sure, you're gonna write a lot of code probably, but you're also gonna spend a lot of time planning before you write all the code. Um, a friend of mine, Peter, has the famous thing where he says, writing the code's the easy part. <laughs> Understand, understanding the problem and, and, and finding a solution, that is, that is the hard part. And then it's almost like you take your crib notes and you just turn it into code. Um, it's it's oversimplified, of course, but I like the statement. I like the way he phrases it. Um, yeah, that's really cool. So uh, I another thing that I, I saw about you, and it makes me think that you are somebody, and I in that same camp, um, that like ethical tech or like are passionate about ethical tech. Um, you mentioned on uh, the rise of Signal. Um, I use Signal myself. I've used it before the web app, well, web app the WhatsApp debacle, but um, I, I kind of still used WhatsApp at that point because some of the family and things were on there. You know, that's the common problem. But um, like I've I've gotten off all of that stuff. Um, I've just decided that for me personally, I need to I need to put my money where my mouth is. That's not entirely correct, but you know what I'm trying to say. Um, so I'd like to hear your views on what you think about ethical tech and its role in improving the tech world and the world maybe even in general. Yeah. So the, this, um, so you're talking about the blog post that I wrote as, as well about like, again, the rise of signal and the, again, my, my, my thesis there was that, um, when signal got the spotlight, it already had all the ingredients to succeed. Basically, it had it had roughly the same features of WhatsApp. It was already a polished product. 
because the problem you have with gen with more ethical tech in general, and you could s s think of this as the in the broadest sense possible of like it's more ethical because it's open source because it's there you know, it doesn't have like a giant weird company behind it or whatever. So um, the problem we have with usually with this type of tech is that it's just not as good. Like it doesn't have like the same level of you know visual flair or whatever than the the mainstream thing. So people are kind of stuck with the, with like the old thing because the usability is not right. And when Signal had its moment, it's it's, it's what I put in the article as well. It had a big boost because Elon Musk tweeted just two words: "Use Signal," right? And it's credited with like suddenly all the newspapers were talking about it, and like it, he already had has a huge account. But people also like retweeted it to, to hell. But my thesis was if we if he had tweeted use Linux, no one would care. Because Linux is not there yet in terms of like, oh I can just it's just like I can just flip a button and suddenly my uh I have a perfect, you know, uh, I have the same thing, I have the same apps, everything looks great, and it's very easy to install. Like I know I might get some heat from like Linux users from this, but like it's not as easy as, you know, uh, just like a Mac. Things are not as intuitive. Again, there's lots of progress being made there. I don't want to, like, um, you know, undermine that. Like, this also got a lot more accessible than it was. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, in the, in the like, if you're talking about like Linux, even ten years ago, or even worse, in the like 2005-ish, it was impossible. You had to like go into the like command line thing to install whatever. But like, um, yeah, so it's it's getting better. But we're still we still have ways to go, and that that was the the idea of the blog post about ethical tech in general. To me, it's usually when like what you want in tech is to as as much as possible is for incentives to be aligned, right? So to give you a counterexample, that's not the case with social media, right? They have no incentive to I don't want not to like I'm not going to name a specific company, but they have no incentive to make media that's actually increase you know that is social what they want to do is put you on is for you to stay on the platform for as long as possible because you can see more ads right and they do this with you know you know you know with uh by creating outrage fear whatever you know controversy and that's not by making a media that makes people sociable and you know want people people want to interact because if you just see some funny you know good vibe things for 10 minutes and you leave that's not what they want you know it's not in their interest Right. So as a result, there, yeah, as a result, there, the incentives are completely misaligned. Whereas I'm going to like use the example of another company that I like. And I think I can start to recommend because they're starting to be as good as the alternative, like with Proton Mail, for example. Like they're, they're all about like building an email that's private. The day they are caught selling ads, everyone, every one of their customer will leave. So they have, you know, their interests are aligned with what they're what they're you know, preaching to be, right? It's like we want to make a private email. So as a result, we know they can sell data or they can be hacked. Because the day that happens, they know they're gonna lose like 50% of their customers at least. And again, like talking using the example of Proton Mail, um, like if we had this conversation two years ago. I would not be able to recommend Proton Mail to you because it didn't have a calendar, like you know it, like the it was didn't have like things like dark mode. It still looked a little bit clunky. Like if you received again a Google Calendar invite, you couldn't do anything with it. Now you could just press the same button that you have in Gmail. It says yes, I would like to attend. Boom, you press that, and that's it. So it's a similar enough experience that it's 
an alternative that's ethical and good, right? It's like you're you're not losing too much by like switching to the ethical product. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think there's another case happening right now um, with Pinpot and Figma. So yeah, yeah, that's exactly Figma right. Was, yeah. yeah, Figma was bought by Adobe. Um, a lot of people are not happy about that. <laughs> yeah, um, to say the uh, least. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to say yeah. the least. And, and I mean, and I, I think it's, it, it's, it's a complicated one because it's not like Figma is not a good fit for Adobe as a company. It is the history of Adobe and what they've done to products that they've purchased. That's, that's the scary part here. And um, even though the CEO of Figma said that, no, 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 we're going to operate as an independent company and make our own decisions, but we do get access to all of this power of Adobe that they've developed over the years. Um, it sounds good, but I don't know how true that really is. Yeah, and, right. Um, that's what everyone thinks is like, yeah, sure. Yeah, you got 20 billion for sure. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> you know, sure like, you'll <laughs> say this. Yeah. And then yeah. yesterday I saw Penpot announced they had they have an $8 million investment um, seed round, which means they, their blog post literally said our, our time has come. And I'm really excited about that. And I, I have personally started using the, the two tools in tandem because, like you said, when, when the WhatsApp thing happened, Signal had all the ingredients to just take its place. Penpot is close, but not quite there. Um, like, I, I found some bugs, which I'm, which I'm raising. Like, this is an open source. It's mm -hmm. awesome. I can just go That's and tell it, them right? this yeah. is a thing I'm Great. seeing. Yeah. And, and yeah. even maybe I can maybe even help fix the problem. Because currently, if I drag an SVG into it and some of the elements uh, has color, all the color disappears, and it and they either render them invisible or white, um, or it renders it as all black, and then you have to go in and edit it in Penpot. So that's there's a bug there. But then um, the other thing that I I miss badly is auto layout. Um, that is not in Penpot yet, and that that is that is a big feature. And then I think the community plugin stuff that the ecosystem that Figma has built, um, that's something that's missing as well. But um, with them having this $8 million investment and being open source and having a, uh, a community that's now like, yeah, we need to support this project, I think all these gaps can be filled very, very quickly. And they are going to be filled very, very quickly. So I'm, I'm really um, excited about that. And I'm definitely following that and seeing how I can help make Pinpoint be the successor of Figma. Um, but with ProtonMail, I've been actually toying with that idea because I did see their announcement when they're like, now we have a VPN, we have a drive kind of thing, like Google Drive, we have uh, calendaring, we have better, our email is better. And I tried it for a bit and it's, it looks beautiful. And it has some functionality, actually, that Gmail doesn't. Um, and the company I run called Mechanical Inc., um, I'm in the in a stage where I'm trying to define what the company will, what I want the company to be, because I don't want it to be another agency. I don't want that. Right. At mm -hmm. the moment, mm -hmm. it kind of is because it pays the bills, right? But that is not what I, the long-term thing. What I, what I want it to be is a company that is heavily involved in open source and in ethical civic tech. And I need to find a way to be able to do that while creating job opportunities and being able to sustain my own me and my family and my children. Um, 
But as part of that, I mean, cards on the table, I use Google Workspace, right, for my, my company stuff. And I am considering switching to Proton because it, it with what my future vision for the company is, I need to, again, put my money where my, where my words are um, and say, I'm not going to use Google's product for this. I'm going to use an alternative, an ethical alternative, because one does exist. And only use tools that don't fit that bill when there really isn't an alternative. And then asking the question, is there a way that Mechanical Inc. and the communities I build can help create this ethical alternative or, or plant the seeds so that people can come together and create these ethical alternatives? Um, wow, that was, that, was, that was fun to talk about. <laughs> yeah, right. So... Um, in the same kind of vein, has there been any person, book, event, anything like this that was impactful in your life, just in general or maybe tech-specific? Mm. Yeah, so um, so just to wrap up what we said about like ethical tech, I think an important point too is that it doesn't have to be um, a full cold turkey switch right now. Like where you're talking about like with, uh, with uh, Penpot, for example, like right now Figma hasn't changed, but we know that if one year something really bad happens, like, you know, what everybody is fearing, which is it's being integrated with the Creative Suite, which is what everyone is like, please don't yeah. make me install Creative Suite, right? Um, <laughs> but if that happens in a year, Penpot had a year from now, you know, to, 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 to get its act together. And it's kind of the same thing. You could say, okay, I'm looking at Proton right now, and maybe in a year I'll switch, right? And it's kind of the same thing for, for you know for Penpot for all these things. So it's important to know that to, to have them in your radar to keep checking, as opposed to go oh let me see can I do a cold turkey switch today, and you download it and it doesn't work and you forget about it forever. Like I've done that too. Like don't get me wrong, but sometimes it's oh, yeah. it's a bit of an easy thing to go, because it's easier for your mind. You don't want to have this thing lingering of like maybe I should switch to something one day. So it's easier to go one day look at it and go okay right is this is this the is this the most optimal thing today. You look into it, it's like, nope, moving on. Um, but you can say, okay, maybe let's let's check it in six months or a year, and it's you can um and also as you're as you're doing like just, just sharing something, like they shipped something, like you know, you're talking about your SVG bug, when they fix it, if you share it, that's it. You know, it's like it's a little boost, even if you may not be using them already because of what you said, auto layout. Yeah. To go back to your question about like, was there a person, you know, or an event or something that really impacted my career? I think I will say like all the managers that gave me a chance, even if I didn't specifically fit like the the profile, uh, I did lots of various things. And I feel like it also comes back to what we were saying about like hiring people with a uh, diverse skill set and not necessarily the perfect background. Um, it happened to me a few times, like I was lucky that, you know, someone was like, ah, even if you don't have the perfect previous experience, I, f I feel like you'll, you'll be, you'll, you'll, you'll be a good fit here in the team. And that happened more than once. And every time that really just helped me a lot. So yeah, I, do that. I, I love that. I love that when, when people are open to giving you a chance um, and saying, let's see what you do. And then let's, let's check back in a month. And uh, if you show that you are a curious person who's willing to learn, let's keep going. I think we, companies need to be more open to that. Um, so for, like I mentioned, this uh, web workbook project, um, 
we're going to it's going to be very content heavy and so um we're going to be building it using hugo as the like static side generators aspect of it but then we've got a, a community license from contentful um and so we we intend to use contentful for our cms so I've read quite a bit about Contentful and I've used a bunch of other like ones like Netlify CMS, uh, Forestry and stuff like that. Um, can you talk to how Contentful is different? Like what sets Contentful apart from all these other Because I know there's a lot of these things that's jumped up. Yeah. So like that that's the great thing about being a developer advocate and not a salesman is that I don't have to give you a, a big sales pitch. Um, what I'll say is for... Um, so... Um, contentful, you know, so as you know, as you said, you're, I'm glad you're going to be using us, but even if not, that's fine. Um, so we're, um, a headless content platform, um, to help, you know, that helps all kind of clients. So the, I think what, what I'll say is like, you're, um, the great thing about contentful is like, we, we've been at this for a while. Like it's quite, uh, it's, I think w one of the first companies in that space, um, you know, in like having this idea of having something headless, having like blocks of content rather than moving from the old paradigm of like, this is a page, you know, and like everything in WordPress, for example, is a page. So you're, so you're sort of with that structure and you're hacking around with like short codes or whatever. And like with Contentful, we have like, you have these entries, which, you know, and content types, which can be anything you want. And that gives you the, you know, great flexibility. Um, so yeah, so, um, yeah, I'm glad you're using yeah, it. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to it. Um, so I'm thinking about which way to go next. That's going to be. I think I wanted to touch on. Um, I noticed that you mentioned you're a coach also at Codebar. Um, I have not heard about Codebar before, strangely enough. And I had a quick look at it. It looks interesting, but you know more about it than me. So I'm going to ask you to, to inform me about Codebar and what you do there and what their mission is and stuff like that. For sure. So I'm still uh, a new coach too. So I started in about November, December of 2021 um, as a coach. So Codebar is basically a, um, a series of meetups that uh, historically before COVID happened in specific cities. So you have one in London, in Berlin, in New York, in Edinburgh. Uh, I think there's one in Paris too. Anyway, so in each of these cities, uh, it's for, it's, a meetup to help people learn to code. So people who are learning to code come in with their problem, which could be anything. And they're like, hey, can I get help? And someone, a coach, will help them with that problem for two hours. And that could be anything. It could be, hey, I'm I'm doing the free code camp. I'm stuck on chapter three. I'm, tr I'm trying to load an image and it doesn't work. And you're like, okay, sure, we'll fix that. Um, or it could be something, sometimes it's way more involved and like, hey, I already have this React app, but when I do this thing, I'm trying to query this thing and everything breaks. And it's like, okay, cool, let's let's have a look at this. So, and they try to pair coaches with skills. So when people register in advance, they're like, hey, I need help with Python. And we're like, well, it's, and Codebar tries to make sure that there's someone who knows Python in the room, which is easier. Even though you can usually figure it, figure it out because, you know, as, you know, as an experienced coder, if, especially if it's a, if it's an easier problem, somewhat, sometimes it works across languages, but they tried, Codebar tried to optimize the coach, you know, the, the coach's skills with, you know, what the student needs. And historically, it was very much um, 
oriented towards like uh, underrepresented people in the industry. Um, yeah, so um, yeah, uh, so the way I coach is uh, on Discord and on Zoom. So you could just rock on to, I think it's pretty much open to any cities now. Like I've coached in Berlin, I've coached in London, even though I'm not in neither of, in, I mean, neither city, right? Um, a bunch more people are happening in, uh, sorry, a bunch, mo a bunch more meetups are happening in person now. So I've been coaching less, plus also like other like engagements made it difficult. But yes, so that that's that's the idea. That's good. No, that's interesting. So it's it's almost like this um, group of mentors that is just available to you when you get stuck. Yeah, that's really yeah. really cool. I'm and uh, sorry, and they try to pair one to one oh, nice. all the time wow. at least. So so sometimes you might get two students. Mm -hmm. It happens when there aren't enough coaches, but usually they're really good at making sure that if they got 10 students, that make sure we have 10 coaches. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I'm definitely going to have a look at that a bit more. That sounds, that sounds like a good fit for yeah, our I community, can, yeah. for sure. Mm. Yeah. Um, okay, I want to dig into something different, maybe similar, maybe different. Um, so when you announced that you were joining Contentful, you pinned a tweet. Um, and part of that tweet is that you mentioned that this was after a long break. So it, it made me curious about what, what was the reason behind that long break? Because let me, let me preface this by why I, I find that interesting. Like, I personally have had many, many struggles and continue to do with um, mental health in general. Um, anxiety, things like this. And sometimes it, it gets to you, it, it drains you, makes you, it makes you tired. And uh, you do feel like you need a break. Um, not always possible. Sometimes you have to grin and bear through it. But sometimes, you know, you eat, you're either going to take that break or your body's going to force you to take that break in um, unpleasant ways. So I was curious, and I've, I've spoken to other people also where burnout's been real, like Ian Douglas is somebody I spoke to that almost quit tech because he was so burned out. So I, I was curious if maybe there are um, echoes of that in this story. So if you want to dig into that. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm lucky it's, it's never been like a forced thing. I, I was, I was, I was getting tired. Like, I mean, let, let's, let's be real. Like the world is upside down and has been for two years. So that doesn't help. Um, but yeah, I, I was, yeah, I feel like I just wanted to change. So before, as I, as I said, uh, in the intro, I was like a regular front end, you know, developer and I wanted, I wanted to become a developer advocate. So I uh, applied to a bunch of places and then luckily Contentful said yes. Um, which was fantastic. And that, and yeah, so in between leaving my old job, which was very hard, like I, I really liked my team and everything, but I felt like I needed a change. I was just getting a little, yeah, a little tired of the whole thing. Like, um, yeah, just like, yeah, like mental health wise, like, it, it became harder. I feel like there probably, as you said, just like accumulation of the, you know, the last two or three, the last, the last two odd years, um, yeah, and that, so in between, I made sure to have some time off um, in between my last job at the Wall Street Journal and Contentful. Um, so yeah, so I had about about, about five weeks-ish between um, you know, between leaving my, I, I don't have the dates right, but like uh, it's about five weeks between. So it's not that long. It's long. 
especially if you compare it to like in America where they have like two weeks and that's it. That's it for the year. <laughs> that's all you take yeah, off. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so it's it's long, but it's not extremely long. So I, and during those five weeks, I four four or five weeks again, I, I um, I, yeah, I went on the big road trip around the UK and it was fantastic. Um, so yeah, that's how I. There was a really clean, may not be a, that long a break, but it was a very clean break because I didn't basically didn't almost didn't code for like three weeks, and it was just a completely a complete change in like environment as well. Okay, cool. Thanks for sharing that. So um, I think in closing, and it, this one leads kind of nicely into it. Um, why do you enjoy doing outside of the tech world? I know a lot of times the answer is I still do tech. <laughs> If that's the case, that's <laughs> fine. Um, but mm. I'm curious, like, mm. what do you do when you're not doing tech? Yeah. Yeah. So there's, um, I mean, like, like everyone else, I really like like traveling. Uh, I, uh, I'm lucky that I get to do a lot more of that now as a developer advocate, which is fantastic. Um, I like things to do with music, as I alluded to earlier with like my failure to be good at any musical instrument. So like uh, playing it, listening to it, attending concerts. Um, another thing is, I guess, kind of like your answer a little bit, is that I, I just like learning about things on the internet in general. So it's not necessarily coding. Like I have a side project like everyone else. Let's not be, <laughs> let's not a lie there. Um, sometimes I have multiple and, you know, it happens. But yeah, I just like getting into like random topics like in like I think for about like maybe about a year now, I've got really into like uh, musical theater and I just learned everything as much as I could about it and like learning the history of it, how different like composers like relate to each other and like just uh, musically also was just extremely rich. Uh, discovery, so like stuff like that, I also really like, which is kind of like doing tech a little bit, but not exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What is it about travel that you enjoy? Um, I mean, it's a pretty, I guess, standard answer. Is like you're, well, it, it takes you out of your environment, which is great. Also for like, you know, it's for for your mind and uh, everything else. Like it, that, that's really good to uh, you know to, to see other things and it's just you know learning about like and seeing just how other cultures work how you know every um you know every country works you can you also see a lot of blind spots which yeah. is interesting for, so of like stuff you didn't think about and you come to another country you're like oh my god they totally fixed it <laughs> or like oh my god this thing is absolutely terrible in this country how they like we figured this to we figured this out 10 years ago how come this country yeah, hasn't yeah, like, yeah. like it goes both ways yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's just really good for, you know, just your mind and also just seeing different things like, you know, in like seeing community, completely different nature and like, uh, different people, customs. It's just, yeah, no, I agree. I, I wish I didn't have as much of a impact on our carbon footprints as it does. But, um, I mean, sometimes, sometimes you can find beauty and uniqueness within your own country and you don't have to necessarily get on a plane um not not unless you're driving an electric car it's not like cars don't have an impact on but i think they have less of an impact less of a carbon footprint than a than a big ass airplane um <laughs> oh thank you so much often this has been really a good conversation i enjoyed it and i'm kind of sad to be have to end it a little early probably we could have probably kept going for a while but um, 
Yeah, I'm going to be without electricity and internet for a while. So there's a problem that we haven't solved and a lot of other countries have solved. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, thank you so much for, for taking some time out of your day to speak with me. I really appreciate it. And um, I'm going to look into a lot of these things that you've mentioned and I'll be following all your work on Twitter and Polywork and everywhere where you are. Thanks so much. No, th th thank you. And uh, happy to be on again, you know, uh, to have another, another chat for sure. Thank you so much for having me. For sure. Well, it's a huge pleasure. Thanks, Evan. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mycenaean Network Podcast. If you're not already, please subscribe, store, and leave a review for us in your podcatcher of choice. This helps others find us and helps us make a better podcast for you, our listeners. You can also find and follow us on Twitter at Network Mycenaean and join the community on Discord. All the links are available in the show notes.